Welcome to the Wildflower Bee Farm Podcast. I'm Hank Sveck. This podcast is about helping you uh, learn and understand the different trials and tribulations of converting a 50-acre farm back to nature and a honeybee sanctuary, and how we struggle to continue to be servant beekeepers. Here's this week's episode. This is the Wildflower Bee Farm Podcast for November 25th is, uh, is when I'm recording it topic is what is killing our queens and I'll tell you a little bit about what we've discovered and this is sort of like that downtime you know when it's cold out it's minus it was minus eight this morning here and so I was I was I've been working on a couple of things the main one being a new paper I'm writing a paper on uh, what we've learned so far related to literature and what we understand about uh, hive survival so the topic today is what is killing our queens and I want to focus on a couple of ideas, and, and hopefully you have some comments, but it'll get you thinking. To summarize, it does not look like there's one thing alone that is causing the demise of a beehive. And I've been going through the literature in this paper that I'm writing, literature meaning the science that has been done, and adding it to what we know. And so far, we've come up with eight, I've come up with eight different variables or things that can be hurting or causing our hives to not survive and i'm going to go through each one it'll take me a number of podcasts but i'm I'm hoping that you'll get the drift for you know if we if we just target one thing we're not going to get there and uh, so today i'm going to tackle one uh, i'll just call it pesticides and those would be pesticides inside and outside of the hive the inside is um, coming from the experience we've had. Sorry, the outside is coming from the experience we've had here on the farm. So I did a bee map. I have a bee map that I use, and, and part of it's to help me when I do my journal writing, but the other part is just to see visually where the hives are. And so just recently I went through and I, I indicated the hives that were uh, empty, so the bees had, had died or left, uh, and all of them the best of our knowledge were um, hives that left and did not die on site we'll say uh, and then I, I looked at the map and it turns out that most of our losses occurred within close proximity meaning within probably 50 to 100 feet of agricultural land that's intensively farmed using herbicides pesticides and mainly Roundup right now so those hives all perished. If you drew a circle, you would see most of the hives around there all didn't make it. And so rather than get into all the details of what happened, it's a, it's a pretty simple fix. We're no longer going to have hives close to our borders because there's drift or there's something happening. Maybe they're flying up high or they're coming in when, they're, when the um, farmer's spraying. It's hard to know. But but it's um, it's happening, so we're gonna we're gonna eliminate that risk. Now, when you look at the science, there's a significant amount of science about what these pesticides and herbicides do to the honeybee. One of the most striking um, findings I, I I was able to determine from the research was that 
the actual um, herbicide pesticide concentration is higher in the wildflowers surrounding, like immediately surrounding, or we used to call them headlines, right? Headlines or headlines. Things that are between two properties. Farmers used to keep a sort of a scrubby kind of, you know, 10-foot wide section that probably had rocks that they would throw in there and all kinds of trees might be growing. Those are pretty much all gone, but in the science I looked at, um, those had the highest concentrations of pesticides, even when compared to the actual crops that were being sprayed because it looks like those concentrations continue over time, if you will, for many of the plants, which is, which is quite, quite fascinating. Uh, neonicotoids, the, the pesticide that's put in the actual spray, also s seems to be coming out into the flowering plants and causing an impact on bees as well. So there's an external pressure. Um, and the other part to that external pressure, the science says it happens over generations of bees. So you may not see the impact. Uh, you, you'll see an immediate impact, as we saw this year with uh, pesticide exposure, but you'll see an impact over time if it's more mild types of exposures through concentrations that eventually become part of beeswax. So then we get inside the hives, and probably the most striking thing I found was the increased concentration of miticides, things used to control mites, impact on queens, and their impact on drones. Now, if we talk for a minute about queens, hive survival and queen survival is kind of the same thing. So that's why it's kind of interchangeable when we talk about hive or queen survival. Um, generally speaking, the queens um, dictate whether or not a hive is, will survive. And what they've learned is, now when they did the studies on miticides, they, they tested the change in drones, adult drones, their sperm quality after being exposed to miticides. And then they turned out and they said, well, there's no real difference. The, 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 the miticides don't seem to have that impact on the drones. But what they failed to do, and later research proved this, was to study the impact of miticides on developing drones. And what they have since learned in, in all kinds of research is that the drone uh, quality of sperm is severely impacted by exposure to miticides when they're developing in the cap drone brood. So when drones are developing, if miticide is used in the hive, it has a significantly negative impact on the quality of the drone um, sperm. It, there's also some evidence that the queen, as she develops, in the queen cell, if the wax has a significant amount of pesticide residue from miticides, it has a significant impact on her longevity. So here's what we know. If a queen has um, mated with other drones who have had the experience of miticides while developing, it's highly likely that the quality of her sperm that she has uh, will be detrimentally impacted to her ability to lay fertilized eggs, healthy fertilized eggs, to continue with the hive development. We know that once a queen starts laying eggs, eggs that aren't viable, the, the, the workers will kill her or the workers will begin to grow other queens to take over her job or role because she's not doing a good job. The problem is the egg 
or eggs that are used to create the new queens are coming from the same, are, are going to be housed in the same wax in the same situation. And this may be why when, you know, local strains of bees are developed and there are other strains that are heavily treated with miticides nearby, the drones that then go to the drone congregation area and interact with the queens produce um, inferior queens. And that's why the hives are always replacing those queens. And that's probably why, if you think about it, the bee instinct there, I couldn't find any signs to tell us Let's say it's August, uh, late July, and the queen is, is demonstrating her inability to lay eggs that are uh, viable with regard to, um, you know, going to grow healthy workers. The workers get that sense. They start to um, raise other queens, and they may even kill the queen. There's some science says they kill the queen who's inefficient. But we're now into September when they hatch, it's highly likely that hive is not going to make it. So the timing of that um, exposure to pesticide and whether or not the queen is laying viable eggs at what time of the year also interacts to produce the problem of hive failure. That is the pesticide story. So there's external, which has to do with sprays around you, and there's internal, which has to do with the concentration in the wax plus the pesticide you're introducing when you do miticides. Now, we should be really clear on this. There is no evidence to suggest long-term use of miticides is effective in helping bees. The studies suggest, yes, you can eradicate a significant number of mites, but there's a significant cost to the hive. And the second issue we're seeing is years later, two to three years later, those hives are no more viable than other hives. So this, this, um, this finding is really, really, really important. On the one hand, you could be helping the bees by, by using miticides and eliminating you know, the, the, the significant concentration of mites, but on the, the flip side to that is you're introducing a toxic chemical at a time when the, when the drones are developing, which will ensure that they have non-viable sperm. So one of the challenges of beekeeping may be, if you're going to be a livestock beekeeper, we may need to look at only treating bees for mites after late July or August, probably August, September in this climate of, uh, of Canada, because what that would do then is to ensure that drones um, that are, um, if there are drones still in the um, larvae stage, they will not have a significant impact on the failure of hives because they're really probably not going to be hooking up with queens in September and October. And those queens, if they did, would not be viable anyway. So that may be one approach. The other approach, I think, is one that's being, uh, you know, I found more and more science developed by uh, government agencies, um, associations in in creating strains of bees that are not exposed to any toxins for miticides but are in fact creating their own techniques um, allowing the bees to create their own modifications in how they manage mites and disease in the hives so that's the first variable uh, pesticides um, that's one of eight each week during this uh, sort of cold spell we have until I have more hive news. I'll be going through each of them. I hope I find these helpful, maybe make you think a little bit if you're a, 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 
a livestock beekeeper, it's fine. Just think about when you apply those miticides and, and how that may be impacting the hive, not just the drones, but also the queens in the, um, in the queen cells as they develop. And there is some significant science on this. And I think one of the problems we had when the miticides were tested, they tested the immediate impact, but not the multi-generational impact of what happens when the wax, for example, has two, three, four years of buildup of miticide in it. So again, I'm Hank for the Wildflower Bee Farm. You have an amazing day, and we'll talk again next time. Remember, you can pick up some hats and t-shirts at wildflowerbeefarm.com and help support us in converting our 50-acre farm back to nature, our research, this podcast, and also future projects we have on the go. That's wildflowerbeefarm.com. Pick up your merchandise today.